is Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliophile, Mick read Live Fearless by Sadie Robertson Huff, and I read The Diary of the Bad Boy by Megan Quinn. Welcome to Bibliovile. That sound in the background is the dog Finn chewing on a toy, but my name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back once again with some Kindle exclusive books to bring you the worst we could find from Amazon, and it's been Mine's a doozy. Mine's technically, or the one you read technically isn't from Amazon. It's a free ebook from oh, the library. Oh, that's true. It's the library. Even thus better. Driving us further and further into an odd list uh, that somebody is probably paying attention to. Yeah, definitely. Um, my... Kindle ads are, I know we say this every time, but they're really trash lately. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine what some poor librarian is trying to put together like a Pandora, trying to be like, <laughs> if you like this, you might like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Who reads both Otherworld and Sadie Robertson Huff? And historical nonfiction. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, we are here on the last day of my Christmas break, my last, the last day of my holiday break. I go back to school tomorrow. Technically, the last day of my holiday break, part two, I had a week off and then went back to work for a couple days and then had a long weekend to celebrate the new year. Um, and by celebrate, I mean, we made beef stroganoff in the crock pot. We Zoomed with some friends we and did you Zoom got with dominated. Some friends. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. We did. We had a very nice New Year's. Um, staying home and staying safe. Mm-hmm. Wee, wee! But now it's 2021, and the the world is fixed forever. Yeah, um, everything is better now. All the bad stuff got left behind in 2020, well, except for these books. Welcome to year five of the podcast. We're not quite until the, to the fifth anniversary, but it's yeah. 2016. So we'll have 2015. To do... oh we started in November we of missed, 2015. We missed the fifth year anniversary. Mm-hmm. How dare we? So we'll have to go back right and do around something. Thanksgiving. We'll have to go back and do something instead. <clears throat> but what we are here to do is to talk about some new. Uh, bad books that we have since read. And Susan, I have a question for you, having gotten me the book Live Fearless by Sadie Robertson Huff. Are you trying to make my mother mad at me? I mean, maybe. This is, this is about the <laughs> four, fifth or sixth explicitly pro-Christianity book you've thrown at me. Okay, but way. not all of those were me. Two of those were Lauren. One of those was Lauren. Oh, okay. One of those was Lauren. All right. Well, I just want to say I, I, we're uh, having some trouble keeping my whole your faith is your own and it's very important and I don't want to step on any toes when the entire book is about my relationship with God. Okay, but we're not mocking her relationship with God. We're yeah, ma- mocking her inability though. to write about it. Yeah, well. <laughs> so tell uh, me about Live Fearless. Did it really inspire you to change your life and to move forward fearlessly into 2021? No. Sadie Robertson Huff is, uh, in case you don't know, she's the granddaughter of the Elder Robertsons from Duck Dynasty. Okay, that's the best part is that I did not know that she was from Duck Dynasty until after I got you this book. Yeah. All I knew was that she was some kind of teen influencer and that she had been on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, several pieces of this book are about her experience with Dancing with the Stars and how it's really just a blessing to be on there and you really connect with people. It's like, you are you are on a TV show. Yeah. 
It is a publicity thing. You wanted people to watch your TV show. And it's a fun TV show to watch. But anywhoser, this is about Sadie Robertson Huff's uh, confrontation with fear. And she says fear approximately 10 million times throughout the course of this book. What is she afeard of? Oh, just everything. What she actually means is anxiety. Uh, and she just says fear all the time instead and never like any sort of synonyms for it. It's just always fear. The word anxiety is used three times to say this many people are anxious across the United States. I can't believe that many people have anxiety, blah, 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 something else, anxiety, like all within the same couple Mm. pages. You know, what's really good is having anxiety, but just not acknowledging it and instead thinking about it in terms of fear and we have to conquer it instead of, you know, going to therapy and taking medicine yeah um that's a big thing is that the word medicine never appears in this book right it never it never shows up once in this book because this is all about your in order to get over your fears you need to read the bible more often Mm. not go to the doctor or you know confront your own underlying trauma or anything like that but very healthy uh just read the bible more uh i (laughs) the intro uh, to this book, I skipped through because it is like a preface, and this is how it more or less, this is how it starts. Uh, I didn't know who was doing the intro because it, it assumedly tells me in the uh, uh, print version, but here I would have to wait until after it's done. So this is how the forward starts. Whether she's writing a bestseller, launching a blog, walking at New York Fashion Week, appearing on Dancing with the Stars, or the iconic TV smash Duck Dynasty, or speaking to thousands across the nation on tour, Sadie Robertson does everything with maturity, class, and grace. Excellence is her standard, and others are her focus. She's a role model, and a real model, and a stunning combination of authenticity and generosity. She grew up in the spotlight, but she shines far beyond the glow of public attention and adoration. This is written by her... Dad. No, and not her agent. This is written by her pastor. Oh. Or a pastor. She assumedly has many. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting way for a religious figure to describe you, but okay. Uh, yes. So she uh, has that forward for a very long time. I skipped through that forward uh, to get to where the actual book starts, and I was approximately 10% of the way through uh, after five minutes of reading, I was... Yeah, at least I got you a short one. I was 14 minutes through, or 14% through, yes. Um, this is a fun one. The, this uh, book is called Live Fearless, and near the beginning, before we even reach page one, after years of wrestling with being afraid of various things for various reasons, I can now say that I live a fearless life. You may notice a, a trend I'm going to put together of two different sets of quotes. One of them is about how bad she is at writing. Uh, three different trends. That she is a bad writer. I do not think there was a ghostwriter on this one. You think it was just, she just went yep. for it? Yeah. Uh, uh, she thinks that the reader is very dumb and that many parts about her particular brand of organized Christianity are gross. And okay. Fuck. Yeah. Also, I think sort of w- something that I am sort of realizing that we have tapped into here is a slightly different genre than the celebrity memoir, which is the influencer memoir. Ooh. Because we, I made you read the Steven Tyler memoir. Like, he was a musician. There were, like, events in his life that he could talk about um, in a different way. 
But, like, I feel like this woman is, like, sort of her core identity is that she is an influencer. She speaks at, at prayer smashes. And yeah. She has was a on strong a TV Instagram show. following. Was on, of, yeah. Was on a TV show where several businessmen grew out large beards and pretended to be idiots so that the Walmart crowd would watch their TV show and then pretended that they were folk heroes for doing so. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the pre-TV show pictures of them? They're no. wearing, like, polos. And <laughs> they're just, like, businessmen. It's ridiculous. But they found an angle and they worked it. Yeah, and th- but they're great Christians. Uh, <laughs> throughout this book, there is absolutely no rhyme, reason, structure, or progression at all. Uh, it just says things and then it ends each section. It's not even chapters, really. Ends each section with, here's the message, here's how you, or here's a challenge, here's a question, here's how you can pray about it. And it's supposed to be like, I don't know, a workbook? It was very clearly huh. that the functions did not, or the formatting did not really translate to Kindle, uh, because you know how, like, in Vice articles or, or other internet articles, they'll, like, chop out a, a choice quote yeah. and pull quote it to the side, and it's kind of annoying when that pull quote is followed up by the real version of that quote. Yep, when it comes immediately afterwards, uh, That's yeah. the only way it happened, oh. and the pull quotes are done in, like, if you imagine a Kindle... They're done in like inch and a half margins. So there's probably only like half an inch of text oh, going down no. the very middle of it. It looks terrible. Oh, sad Kindle format. Yeah. So if you guys don't know a lot about Duck Dynasty, this is the kind of uh, vibe that they put out. Years ago, you could drive through almost any place in America and see a bumper sticker or a church sign that read, Prayer Changes Things. Not anymore. Like, this America's going down the tubes. I have never seen never a bumper sticker that says that. We also, are. I don't think people are feeling like they're not allowed to have a bumper sticker that says that. You'd be surprised as to the persecution complex of this brand of Christianity. This is a specific brand of Christianity that I very much don't like. Yeah. Christianity can be great. This brand of it, probably not. Uh, she's a bad writer. Actually, I'm just going to go through it all. Uh, like I said, there's not really that much to uh, say about it. She is afraid of storms and afraid of failure and afraid of public speaking and thinks that that makes her a terrible, awful person. And it's like, no, that's just uh, people are afraid of things. And you, yeah, you have to learn how to kind of deal with these things, but you don't have to go without it in order to count. Uh, yeah. And so it's very clearly generalized anxiety or specific anxiety or these other sorts of things. And those are best handled with a doctor and medication. Yeah. Uh, instead of uh, yelling at yourself. So, it, it, I have anxiety. This is the thing that I think you might know about me. Yes. And it bums me out because, like, you're right. People are afraid of things. Like, human beings have fears about things, whether they're sort of more emotional fears or, like, I am afraid of spiders kind of thing. But the idea of, like, your fears make you a bad person... Like, your anxiety they is... They pull you away yeah. from God, Susan. Ang- your anxiety is telling you that these things that make you human make you a bad human. Like, that's your anxiety, and that bums me out I've that got a, she feels that I've way. I've got good news. Uh, she used to be afraid to publicly speak, and now I can hardly wait to get in from the audience, and I just say, go away, fear. I'm not listening to you. I've got a job to do. I mean it. Go away. Not today. Goodbye. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> So I can just that. imagine her standing backstage saying that to herself, like shadow boxing. No, I think she has her fists <laughs> on her hips like a toddler. Uh, so if you just say that, you won't be afraid anymore. You know, uh, of the chemicals in your brain. Cool, sounds uh, good. This is why I don't think that she had a ghostwriter, because she writes like a sophomore, even though she is in college. Uh, or 
uh, is of college age. Uh, had anyone asked me, who is the most fearful person you know, I could have answered without thinking about it for even one second. I was the most fearful person <laughs> I knew. Um, question. So now, she because I looked her up on Instagram, she is now married. Was she married at the time that she wrote this book? Apparently not. Okay. Um, this is... I'm going to, I'm just going to do this through quotes as I get there. But basically the book is she's constantly having just figured out how religion works. Mm -hmm. She's always just coming to the cross. Like, Hey, you can't tell a book where every story in it is of you arriving at the solution. Yeah. Because then guess what it does to all the previous stories in your book where you arrived at this, like, it's very clearly, Oh, I prayed like I never prayed before. And he really spoke to me that day later. I was in a bad place. Like then it didn't work, apparently. Yeah. So, oh. And also, I feel like there is a very particular kind of Christian story about finding God, and that's the turning point. But I think you can go beyond that, and it makes a lot more compelling of a story to talk about being a person who's working through things. It's a I, lot more compelling. I do not buy into any... I buy into a lot of stories of faith about this helped me in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, because faith I, really can. It can help yeah, you work I, through I, things. I have filled up by this feeling. But in these, God is very much an on-off switch where it's like, I was doing bad, then God, then good. It's like, that's not really how it works. Yeah. <laughs> to express absolutely no struggle or doubt, even after the adoption of these beliefs, is it just... It, I can't buy into it. Yeah, because it's not realistic. Uh, here's a. I'm just going to go down the quotes and maybe that'll kind of uh, give an organization to my complaining. Here's a question. How many thoughts of fear consume your mind? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being off the charts high, how fearful would you say you are? If 10 is the scale, then it can't be off, off the, the charts. charts. This is something that a, even a mild editor would have caught. So I think that not only was it not particularly ghostwritten, it was not particularly edited in, the, in, uh, in addition. Uh, she has to point out what she's talking about, because as I'll get to later, she also thinks her readers are very dumb. I once read a definition of fear that called it the belief that something bad is going to happen. As I thought about that, I said to myself, that's true. Webster's Dictionary defines oh, oh, fear. Oh, don't even worry about it. We get some of those literal uh, sorts of things. Yes. Uh, oh, does this remind you of reading your students' essays? Uh, my students are better at writing than this. Use a dictionary or dictionary app or website on your phone and look up what each of these words from Philippians. No. Just wait until you see what the words are. From Philippians chapter 4, four verse 8 means... The better you understand what the words mean, the better you'll be able to think these kind of non-fearful thoughts. True, honorable, right, pure, <sighs> lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Parenthetical, look up worthy and praise. Why not just separate them out? Why not just write worthy, bullet point, praise? Uh, anyway, uh, oh, Sadie, honey, I gotta come back to that. I have a quote, but it fits into my other thing. Uh, so yeah, look up the dictionary. She just thinks you're very stupid. I don't know. Like look in the dictionary for these very yeah. common words or a dictionary app. Cause you probably don't have books at your house. Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> An old Japanese proverb set proverb says fear is only as deep as the mind allows. That's true. 
<laughs> that's true. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for telling me this thing you told me is true. Uh, let's see here. Oh, so she goes into an entire chapter where she's like, I have this concept that I developed with a friend one night of the crazy train. I'm like, the crazy train is a is a concept developed yeah. by Ozzy Osbourne in the 1970s. Like, it exists. But she, like, let me explain this concept to you, that when you get on this railroad track of thought, sometimes it takes you to crazy places. People have been using that concept in conversation. A train and of thought? Jokes about it for ages like that's a train of thought yes and also like even like how many times have you heard jokes about like oh yeah we're hopping on the crazy train pulling into dysfunction junction like that's a thing she wants to tell you that you need to recognize when you're jumping on the crazy train but you can also help people not be on their crazy train see Uh, these could be she could be using these metaphors to tell us about actual strategies for working through anxiety like recognizing when you're going into a loop and doing something about it or helping your friends be aware when they're going into a loop like that could be a thing that she learned in therapy instead she says not only can you get off any crazy train you may be on right now but you can also be the person who stands in the middle of the track and stops the crazy chain for someone else you can be the one yelling jump off jump off that train is crazy oh honey which is just a three-word phrase that train is crazy that train is crazy oh no Oh, honey, oh, sweetie, no. Uh, let's see here. Uh, she talks about exhaling your ugly, as in more or less just sort of uh, getting rid of the negative feelings in yourself. Mm-hmm. Before we go any further, let me explain this is both ba- being a bad reader and thinking you're dumb. Before we go any further, let me explain what I mean by exhaling your ugly. Think about the way you breathe. You take care oh, into no. your body when you inhale, and when you exhale, you let it out. Is she defining exhaling? You release the air you've been holding inside. So when I say exhale your ugly, I'm talking about letting go of negative emotions like fear, disappointment, all the things that make you feel ugly and unworthy. Webster's yeah, Dictionary defines exhaling. <laughs> yeah, but I, I got that from what you wrote. Uh, nothing she, like using a metaphor and then going into painstaking detail to explain the girl, metaphor that is the entire book uh taylor said he'd be been a christian or she's telling a story about a guy who uh stopped being a christian because he was deaf and thought that no no god would do that to him and so he started becoming well he calls himself an atheist she keeps saying that people call themselves atheists mm. she never mentions a real atheist in the book uh, and he, she convinces him to go back to Christianity, uh, and now he's the president of his fraternity. So everything's been fixed. Oh yeah, good for him. Uh, really on the path toward righteousness there. Taylor said that he had been a Christian earlier in his life, but he had become an atheist. In reality, I'm not sure that's totally accurate because he did he did believe that God exists. Then, then yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Webster's dictionary defines atheist. <laughs> Uh, she talks about, she's scared of storms and wind, despite saying that she got over it at the beginning of the book. Yeah, I thought she wasn't afraid of anything Um, anymore. And so then she's talking about how one time she was in a barn outside of Memphis sleeping, uh, and there's a lot of wind and she was like, I'm so scared of wind. So she opened up her Bible randomly and wouldn't you know it, the verse she found had to do with God's wind or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, by the way, she uses about 18 different Bible translations throughout the course of this book. It's like, stick to one. Like I get (laughs) not using the King James in a book like this or whatever, but like she does, she doesn't just do like the 
NIV. She also does like the new life where it puts everything into vernacular oh, and, it's, and it yeah. has like exclamation points. I'm like, exclamation points don't belong to the Bible. <laughs> anyway, she, she, t- so that's what's <clears throat> part, that's part of what's so powerful about God. He always finds a way to speak into your stuff. To speak into your stuff. Yeah. Speak okay. Into your Speaks stuff. into your stuff. Got it. Uh, it's very, it's very... Maybe this is the Catholic in me, but I feel like part of the, like, mystery of, the mystery of faith, very Catholic of me, is the, the language and the music and, and not thinking about it as God speaking into your stuff. I don't know, that, that seems... I, I know it is very important to people to feel like God is accessible to them, but I think you can do that without dumbing it down that bad. <laughs> All right, diet of verms, asked Susan. Get out of here, Martin Luther. <laughs> I think Martin Luther would have objected to God speaking into his stuff. <laughs> yeah, it sounds better in the German. All right. Um, this is the 100th PC. <laughs> uh this is more about how your readers are very dumb. So she's trying to tell, uh, she's trying to relate to her readers, which this is angling for. I'm talking to a graduating high schooler, but really it's a middle schooler to early high schooler thinking that they're, you know, getting a mature look at life yeah. on this. And so one of the things we can be fearful about is our uh, relationships. Okay. For example, with a boyfriend you're afraid of being disloyal to you would be to say something like, quote, Hey, I've just been wondering lately if you're texting other people or hanging out with other girls. Is that something I should be worried about? Give him a chance to tell you the truth about it. If you're right and he admits it, you can move on. If you're not, you'll know that he, you and he are fine and you can resolve the situation. Or he's lying to you. <laughs> yeah, there's a third option here. <laughs> if he says no, it's no, baby. <clears throat> no. Ugh. Now you understand the crazy train because this is this is something that I'll get to as I, I discuss this a very uh, uh, you know uh, as I get more into this brand of Christianity is very aggravating to me uh, evangelical Christianity sort of sort of contemporary Christianity yeah. whatever you want to kind of the the Christianity that has uh, electric guitars playing during it yep uh, and people holding their hands up as they sing to these electric guitars. The prosperity gospel, whatever. There's a lot of different versions of this. It's completely circular logic where everything bad is bad because it's bad. And everything good is good because it's good. Mm-hmm. And so if you have these fears and these doubts in your mind and they're taking you down the wrong road, you need to get rid of those feelings. But if you have a bad feeling and God is warning you, you need to follow those that, that idea. It's like, hey... They both feel like bad yeah. feelings. How do you know which one's which? Because one's good and the other's bad, Susan. But how do you know? Because the good one's good. You got to be good at good being good. And it's just very aggravating that it's like, hey, if you feel like you're, uh, this is literally talked about. If you feel like your relationship's going down the wrong way, like, because you're fearful and you're you're suspicious, then you just need to get, like, on top of it and get get past it and talk it out. If your relationship is taking you in the wrong way, you need to really feel that and get out. Like, they're both mentioned. And and none of it is being... Just really get down on those knees and pray about it, Susan, because God will show you the... It's like, oh my gosh! Or communicate effectively with your partner. Yeah, well... That's a, that's a strategy also. I mean, yeah, prayer can be a good supplement to that, but whether you pray or not, you should also communicate openly with your partner. This is... 
This has nothing to do with nothing uh, of my big ones, but it was just too funny to let go. Uh, <clears throat> she has a prayer at the, she like writes out the words you're supposed to say in prayer. And that it's like, I don't want to read while I'm praying. Yeah. That would be very odd. I mean, I can't, I come from a Protestant background that did not have an assigned prayer. So maybe it's just especially weird for me, but it's usually been like father or God. Or yeah. Heavenly Father, or something like that. This one begins, Abba Father. Today I want you to focus on who you, capital U, say I am, blah, blah, blah. Afterwards, note, scripture uses many names to describe God. Abba Father, A-B-B-A, Father, is one of the most significant because of how it relates to us. Translated from the Aramaic language, it means Daddy. Oh, no. Which, first of all... I don't like that. A couple different things. Number one, the sexual connotation of daddy in 2021 is too funny to let go. I don't like that at all. Secondly, you're telling me that on purpose you're going to begin your prayer to the almighty divine power you stake your trust in with, Hey, daddy. (laughs) With the same thing you say when you want to borrow the car keys. Oh, no. Thirdly, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Abba Father means daddy. Father is not an Aramaic word. Yeah. What Abba Father means is Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> or that other guy from the King speech. Or that third guy. There was a third option. Oh, yeah. That's what Abba Father means. It's Pierce Brosnan. It's a couple of layers deep. Here we go again. Yes, mamma mia. Yeah. Um, so now we get into the, the, the not so, uh, great part of this book where Christian, this version of Christianity is, uh, quite bunk. Uh, uh, hold on. Where she says, this is not just a book. This is not a book you can just read and say, that was good. This is a book that can revolutionize your life. It can move you beyond the fear that is crippling you and set you free to soar. If you don't activate the words of the book as you read, fully digest them and apply them to your life. I hate to say it, but you won't walk away fearless. If you do, then you will. And also, if you really want to make sure that you're fearless, buy my merchandise at SadieRobertsonHuff.com. Pretty close. (laughs) As I said to my agent, this guy, yeah, uh... Yeah, I already told you how she gets rid of fear by just saying it, and therefore, if you can't do it, then you must not just be Christian enough. You might not, you must not have done the book. And that's well that's enough. not going to make anyone feel more anxiety ridden. Or yeah, <laughs> uh, she talks about oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood, and it's dangerous because the enemy is there and casting aspersions on those the Hollywood liberals. Oh yeah, you know, those without Hollywood saying, elites. Without saying anything or mentioning the fact that she was on a nationally syndicated television show for years. Uh, someone, uh, finally found freedom from fear when a good friend t- said to her, Corey, I don't know, remember who we're talking about. Don't be afraid. Sadie has the God of the universe living inside her. The devil is the one that should be afraid. Amazing advice. That's not amazing advice. That's not advice. She ended up at peace because one person said her God said God. Like that's not, that's not advice. Though. Life is hard. You have to do a lot of work. Just because God is there doesn't mean you're just like off the hook. Yeah. Um, this is this is revealing a little bit. Uh, I knew in my head that the Bible says many times, do not fear. In fact, I've included a list in the back of the book of some of my favorite do not fear verses. In fact, about the last 8% of the book is just Bible <laughs> verses. Uh, do not fear verses for you to read and memorize. I knew that was great advice. After all, God said it. Hey, y'all. 
let's talk about something. The Bible wasn't written by God. We get that, right? It was written by, by people. people. Yeah. And he, like even with faith, it's prophets repeating what they've heard from God. God did not pick up a pen or a typewriter and put it down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so God said it. And so that's why I put a tattoo on my body of fearless. And it's like, hey, do you know what the Bible says not to do? Get tattoos. Get tattoos. And so it's this, she takes the Bible literally. And we'll get, she thinks that date, Goliath was literally nine and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. She talks about, oh, he was built in nine and a half feet tall. It's like, faith is great. It's just many people, but you can't possibly tell me. Like, I cannot accept biblical literalism as a worthwhile phenomenon. Yeah. I can't do it. And I'm sorry, folks. I usually don't yuck on people's yum like this. But it's, there's never been a nine and a half foot tall guy. <laughs> people don't live to 450 years old. Yeah. Even older than that. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And so to take that the Bible literally, at least be consistent, and take it hella fucking literally, right? Yeah, that I think that's one of the things that irritates me the most about, like you said, this particular brand of Christianity is this commitment to taking the Bible literally, except when it's inconvenient. Like, you can't. You can't decide that everything in the Bible is true and then pick and choose which parts you're going to be really committed to. Like, no, this is true. And I'm you're, I'm going to ignore the other stuff that I don't like about not yeah. getting tattoos or whatever. It's like, I don't almost have more respect for an insane, like, fundamentalist that is prepping for the apocalypse and is like, does everything according to the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be like, you're crazier than this other person. But you're more consistent and respectable. Yeah. So... It was uh, great to find out that she thinks God wrote the Bible, uh, despite the fact that a lot of times in the Old Testament, people are talking to God. She quotes overwhelmingly from the Old Testament, by the way. Interesting. Uh, I feel like sort of the new wave Christianity, in my understanding, was very New Testament focused. So this is interesting. Except when it's like, it's it's very stuck on, you know, David and Goliath and... uh, all the all the big figures and none of the job going through hardship just because god wanted to test him sort of yeah. things because it's very much the loving god as picked and chose from the old testament yeah. which is not a particularly uh outwardly demonstrative god um so when i found this one and i'm sorry this is not great but it's just it's too choice to not read uh when she says when you think think something else that is false is actually real now that's crazy oh Sadie, you can't just throw that in your heavily Christian faith-based book and not expect somebody to pick up on that. That's like, I was given a book one time by a conservative uh, writer named PJ O'Rourke, who supposedly was quite funny. And he was telling about how Democrats view uh, the government like Santa and Republicans view that view the government like Old Testament God to be feared and respected and you know, blah, 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 where the Democrats feel like, you know, the government is to, to give out and it's good and it gives out uh-huh. things and out of the goodness of its heart. And then it says, there's only one problem. Santa's not real. <laughs> and I was a senior in high school, still, you know, mildly religious. And even I was like, you can't. No, you can't that one do doesn't that. work, bud. That, that one, one doesn't work. That one does not. I think that honestly might have been the time when my faith most seriously took a big hit. Yeah. Is that line like, well, wait. <laughs> um, so I'm going to skip. Oh, I'm going to skip to the end of her book and then come back for the. This is the worst of the worst. Uh, 
Okay. She's wrapping things up, and by wrapping things up, I mean just continuing to talk. Like I said, there is no one, two, act three. There's, there's... The title of this section is A Word That Changes Everything. So you're probably wondering what that word might be. Uh, Sorry, that's not what I meant to say, but it popped yikes. up. Yikes. This is the story that she chose to tell. Uh, she saw a homeless man. I had no money that night. All I had was my phone, my belt. She's on her way to a thing, like a, a speaking engagement. I had my phone, my Bible, my speaking notes, and a few things in my purse that would not have been interesting or helpful to him. Yet I wanted more than anything else in the world to help this man, sure. I felt like I felt compelled to do something for him, like I would burst if I didn't try. The driver turned around and I got out of the car to approach the man, who was dirty and smelly and had an empty, hopeless look in his eyes. I honestly don't have anything to give you, but this, capital B, book is everything, I said as I held out the Bible to him. No, oh, I can't take so that, he responded. Sure you can, I said. I really want to give it to you. No, he emphasized and added, I'm an atheist. That's how homeless people would talk. As I started to walk away, I noticed his eyes filling with tears. So I put the Bible on the ground, giving oh, him a chance to pick it up. Don't do this. No, I, he shouted as I headed back to the car. Somebody needs that. Don't leave it on the ground. Hey, y'all, I wonder how Jesus would feel about a person who left, a person to be homeless. Just giving them a Bible. A thing they can get for free in many places. Yeah, you know, if you if you really did take the Bible literally, I feel like Jesus had some pretty choice things to say about Helping feeding the homeless. and clothing the homeless. And Let me get back into my, my car with the driver. Yeah. I'm sorry that you but didn't I don't want my have Bible. any money. Like, that's asking a lot. I don't deny that's asking a lot, too. I've never taken a homeless person into my car and driven them any place. Yeah. But I didn't choose to put that fact in my book about yep. I'm such a great person trying to help people. I give people Bibles and leave them cold and empty on the street. Yeah. Like, I'm fine in many to, ways. Like, if you really want to help that person, go to an ATM and give them a 20 so they can get a good meal and a cup of coffee. Like or a shower and a set of clothes. Or fight uh, wider systemic injustice. Yeah. Because all the loose change is enough change in the world to help the homeless. Uh, as uh, AJJ said. I wish to God I had some spare change Every time a perfect stranger asked me for some spare change But there's not enough spare change in the world To make such an empty gesture count So yeah, that's what she chose to like end her book on. Oh, it's 91%. Buddy, that is and not it's done. a redeeming story. That's not a redeeming story in the least and she treats it as if it is. And this is the first, this is the, oh, that's the second time I got mad. This is the first time I was much madder at him. She's talking about, uh, she's at a uh, long-term sort of touring retreat, I guess. And she, I don't know what that means. And they go city to city and it's, you know, uh, uh, mega churches and people come and she talks at them or whatever. Cool. And part of her thing with these bands and, oh, there's, there's fellowship here tonight, brothers, uh, is, and I, I hate that also kind of church, is that she gets on stage and is in a Q&A portion, but she usually has another person on stage with her to kind of funnel the questions from the people to her. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you know why you're on stage? It's because you were on Duck Dynasty. It's not because you have anything useful to say. Yeah. Um, but she's going to go on alone tonight. And she's like, she's overcome because she's told the devil to whatever. Right? 
And so it's this time she's going to get on. She's conquered her fear. I was praying and praying and getting ready to speak by myself in front of about 20,000 people when our security guard walked up to me and said, Sadie, are you okay with going on stage tonight? I said, yeah, why not? He then told me about the terror attack that had happened that day at a concert in another country, France, uh, on a stage very much like this one. The enemy is strategic. He is working in many places at once to hurt, kill, and instill fear. And horribly that day, terror had reared its head in France. Using that massive tragedy and the pain of all those people, he tried to maintain his grip on me. He had held back and kept me bound in fear for a long time, and he was not going to let me off the hook that easily. Several dozen people did not get shot in a mass shooting so that you would be nervous about speaking in public. No. How entitled can you be to view a tragedy that kills dozens of people That's and to disgusting. say, oh, the devil's trying to get me nervous so that That's I don't talk. so disgusting. That's really disgusting. Oh, that made me so mad. How center of the world can a person be to take the deaths of people as an attempt to intimidate them into nervousness. Yeah. That's to really nervousness. Awful. That's really, really awful. Yuck. Yuckaruskis. Yuckaruskis, indeed. It's almost like we would have known that the people who act like the Duck Dynasty people would have done a thing like that. To bring it back, this is about this organization and this view of the world. It is not about any particular religion or or belief system. Well, it is about a particular belief system. And that particular belief system is when I do something, it's good, unless I don't want to have done it and then it's bad. Yeah. That's the belief system. And I'm going to use a book that I pick and choose from to back me up and always make me superior to whatever it is that's happening. In order to not be constantly yucking on Christian books, it is not that we think all Christian books are bad. This one was bad. Um, but I will give an example of a Christian book that I found to be very good. My mom recommended a series to me. Uh, it's called the Hawk and the Dove series by Penelope Wilcock. And it is set in 1300s England in a monastery. And it is just simple little stories about a bunch of monks trying to live in community with each other and it's really hard and then things happen that are also hard and they use their faith as a way of working through them and trying to be better and i think i i mentioned that to show that like christian books can be good there has to be an element of realism to it of like if your faith is the thing that helps you work through difficult things and helps you like, try to be better in your your dealings with other people, that's great. It does not sound like this person who wrote this book is doing that. Yeah. Uh, a recent internet essay that was very, very important and I, I would say resonated somewhat, although not totally with me, has been Jason Kirk's. Uh, he's, he's running a thing called uh, Vacation Bible School, which is great. Uh, and so he had a recent, uh, of course, now I have to find it, uh, he had a recent blog post about his sort of vibe and, and what 2020 mean to him. Uh, it is on jasonkirk.substack.com and it's called Comeback. And it's about uh, sort of because Star Wars 9, uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker sucked, uh, he launched into a couple different projects and like how it turned out it was his lapsed upbringing and how he doesn't necessarily want to return to that version of his faith, but what he's trying to find in the, in the meantime uh, really spoke to a lot of different things. 
and so I want Susan to stop getting me Christian books so I don't okay. have to be mean to her religion, please. All right, I'll stop getting you Christian books. I did stumble into a subset of the library's ebook section, which was teen lit, and so that's going to be a lot of what you're that'll getting be, in the coming months. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, you got me the sequel to the <laughs> book that I got you last episode. I did indeed. So can you give us a very quick refresher on... The what you hated my... about The Secret to Dating Your Best Friend's Sister? The Secret to Dating My Best Friend's Sister was a book about an awful, awful man who only plans how to get his way, uh, not for anybody else's, uh, even ev- things that make other people happy are only worthwhile because it's what he wants to do. It's not because it's what they want to have happen. Uh, and it's one of the most toxic relationships I've ever seen in fiction. I blame uh, Pride and Prejudice for these sorts of things where he's the hard to get bad boy on Mr. Darcy except that most people aren't the people who write Pride and Prejudice books. Uh, we watched it recently, and it's like, okay, this time, sure, but he's handsome and, like, actually a good per. I'm still not convinced on it. But in either case, it was terrible and explicit in many sex scenes and t- full of unrealistic characters and decisions and just bad. And the best part is there's three of them. Oh, yeah, the it's Bad Boys Club. It's a trilogy about the Bad Boys Club. Uh, there are three friends who were in a fraternity together. At Yale. And their names are Rath, Bram, and my book is about our Irish frat bro named Rourke McCool. Rourke McCool. So, as the book begins, Rourke got into a fight and has been given mandated therapy and community service. And part of his therapy is that he has to write in a diary every day. He has to write about his feelings. And so we get diary entries from work. Thank God the whole thing is not diary entries. Otherwise, I would implode. Uh, But we start off with, Dear Diary, Fuck, it sounds like I'm a hopelessly besotted teenage girl with heart beams spewing from her hormonal eyes. Yeah, there's no fucking way I can write Dear Diary. I need a different name. Something manly. Something with giant balls. Nice and manly. Something that will scare away any little punk who tries to read this. Let me think on that. I need to write all of my deepest feelings to something with giant balls. Yep. Uh, our other main character is Sutton Foster. Mmm. Sutton. Sounds like a wine. Probably could learn a lot from Sadie Robertson. She's terrified of everything. Sutton says, I've lived in the city, New York City, for two years now, which is contested later when it is explained that she has attended both undergrad and grad school at NYU, which would be (laughs) six years, not two, and have yet to be out this late on my own. It's like 10 p.m. Grad school and studying will do that to you. Also, the pure fear of being scooped up by a human trafficker instills enough fear inside me to never go past my front door at any time after nine at night. Cool. That's a Very bad healthy. life. Yeah, bad life to live. So these two meet, they're meat cute, as it were, takes place in a hot dog restaurant. Mm. When Sutton is there with her friend Maddie, they're eating their hot dogs. Rourke gets in a brawl with another guy in the hot dog restaurant um, over some ketchup. Because he's Irish and his blood is just hot. 100%. Uh, during the fight... He drops his phone, and then Sutton also drops her phone, and they accidentally pick up each other's phones. 
And so they're texting each other's phones trying to like, hey, when can she's trying to figure out like, when can we meet up so we can switch phones and, and I, I need my phone back. And he refuses to give her her phone back. Um, he says, Gross. we get a little bit of his thought process. Why am I torturing this girl, you ask? No, I didn't. You're the, you're the, prote- you're a character. I'm not talking to you. Well, oh. I wouldn't necessarily call it torturing. More like entertaining her. From the pictures in her phone, it looks like she needs a little more excitement in her life. And why not be the one to give that to her, at least for a little while? She should smile. She'll get her phone back when I'm ready to give it back. So first of all, he stole her phone and is keeping it hostage. Like, they know how to get in touch with each other and he will not give her property back to her. And he's looking through her photos. So, like... Uh, just a winner. The the thing that I don't understand, because this takes probably 35% of the book. Gross. Until they get their phones back. And the thing that I don't understand is, if you're so frustrated, Sutton, that this horrible man isn't giving you your phone back, Go to Verizon and say my phone was stolen because it was. Yeah. He stole your property. My phone was stolen. You probably, she's apparently super rich. Like you probably have insurance on it. Get a new fucking phone and get the other one turned off and throw his in a dumpster and make him figure it out later. Like, why are we doing this? We eventually, they finally um, hook up, like connect in order to switch phones back. And it turns out that Rourke is Sutton's dad's agent. Uh, he is a football player. His name is Foster Green. He and his Wait. wife, who has now died, had Sutton when they were 16. What's the woman's name? Sutton Green. And he's Foster Green. Oh, you said Green. it was Sutton Foster at the beginning. Oh, sorry. Foster Green. Sutton Green. Sutton Green and Foster Green. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. He also has a foundation, which is where Sutton works. Um, And she's talking about the foundation and she says, my dad created the camp for kids to improve their skills while creating healthy goals for a lifetime. You sound like a pamphlet. What is this? Um, And then Foster wants Rourke to finish out his community service hours by working with the foundation at this camp that they do in Texas every summer. And so he tells Rourke that, Rourke, you're going to work with my daughter Sutton on prepping for this camp and that's how you're going to get your community service hours and Um, also how you're going to get it wet exactly and so of course she falls in love with him despite the fact that they're polar opposites who clearly hate each other and he's a clearly terrible person uh how's his irish accent oh it's so bad mick uh the the most so thankfully his like um exposition is not yeah. written in an irish accent oh I would damn it thrown my kindle That's into was, this seat the explicit reason i got it for you the best one is uh whenever he says the word fuck it's fuck are you fucking kidding me and it's always spelled out f-o-o-k i want to i want you to know that when i went to amazon to get this some of the reviews were like and an irish accent sign me up i'm Gross. like i get an actual irish accent but a written a written accent is the, terrible no matter what it's awful it's bad um, Except for Jason's, Jason Statham, as written by Vince Mancini. Don't lie, told me. <laughs> um, he's also very stereotypically Irish in his eating habits, which uh, consist exclusively of whiskey. I turn toward the bottle on the counter and bring the cool glass to my lips. It's eight in the morning. Taking a long swig of whiskey. No better way to start the morning than with a shot of pure Irish blood right down my throat. Because he's Irish, he's an alcoholic. Exactly. Um... 
So Let's she falls in love with him. Irish people. Let's run it down. Temper. They they got a temper. They love to fight. They fight their dog. Yeah. They drink a bunch, especially only things from Ireland. Yeah. Because in my book, he bought brought over a six pack of Guinness. Correct. It's like that'd be like an American showing up with Budweiser. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. They say um, Fook. They say Fook a lot. Does he have red hair? He does not have. He is not described as having red hair. Yeah, how is he described? What's he look like? We don't. He's, he's just not. He's, he's just perfect just, looking. Yeah, he's just perfect looking. All right. And her breasts are perfectly round globes. It says globes. Yeah, it perfect. says globes. Um, the perfectly only... round globes. Perfectly She's round got globes. Spheres for boobs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Perfectly round globes. Uh, the only explanation we get as to why she falls in love with him is that he smells like God blessed him with all the pheromones he had bottled up. So like ball sweat. <laughs> I don't know. Musk. And of course, like, he does not fall in love with her right away, but he does want to bone her right away, and she distracts him from every other woman ever. He's not interested in anyone else, just her. Um, he, they're at a lunch, hey, like a work lunch. At least they got that part about Irish people right. Very monogamous. Yeah. Uh, at a work lunch, he thinks to himself, kids. and her tits. Her shirt is way too low cut. I keep catching myself as my eyes are like magnets to her nipples, trying to see right through the fabric of her shirt. I'm glad that her shirt is the problem for you staring at her titties. This little lunch date is uncomfortable for many reasons, and one big one is pressing against the zipper of my jeans. He loves to talk about how big his cock is, and he constantly has an erection. Um, <laughs> well, that's the eighth thing about Irish people. So, there's a ton of will they, won't they, all of this inter- these interactions that they have. They do eventually hook up. Um, I say hook up, there's no penetration, but he goes down on her. For 45 minutes? Not for 45 minutes, but for a while. Um, she feels like he's finally starting to open up to her, but then in the morning. I think she opened up to him. Yeah, buddy. But in the morning she wakes up and he's gone. And so she's really mad. They don't talk for a while. They have a big fight. And then they admit that they're in love and they're gonna try dating. Great. Let me guess. Around like... 68%. 52% 68%. 52% of the way down with the book. I'm like, that was our that was our third act twist. What else the book is, is there? Done, yeah. yeah. So here's some things. Okay, can I can I see? I'm sorry for interrupting. No, you're but okay. Can I see if this book has a similar template to my last book? Okay. Now that they've admitted they like each other, the next 15 to 17% uh, percent is like a so- one solid scene that's like them going on a date and and then they have actual sex for an extended period of time. Um, there's a little bit more lead up to the actual sex, but basically, yeah. Yeah, and so now that they've admitted it, here's about 25, what are we at then, 77? Mm -hmm. Here's about 25% of them being in a quote-unquote happy relationship. And once we get to about 80%, some bullshit thing is thrown out and then resolved around 85, and then a different bullshit thing is thrown out at about 92. Yeah, you got it. Nailed it. Got her in one. Um, yeah, there's definitely a formula. Uh, but here's some things about our main characters. I don't know if you could tell from the title, but Rourke is a bad boy. Oh, no. He's a bad boy. Um, he, in his exposition, actually, this is in a diary entry. He says, my childhood, it was simple, boring. Raised in Ireland, had a father who didn't give two shits about a me. Da. And a strict Irish Catholic mother who used and broke wooden spoons on me more times than I can uh, count. Abusive parents. Thing nine. College. Yeah, I'd tell you if I could remember. What do I, what I do know is that I was part of a fraternity. I was drunk every day, threw up in trash cans around campus a lot of the time. I was that guy. 
and my social game was so damn good, I ended up managing the careers of some of my close athlete friends straight out of college. And now I pull my head out of my ass when I need to do business. I land some of the biggest endorsement deals and contact contract deals in the sports field. And I party almost every goddamn night to get away from the rest of the world to forget. Hey, that's not partying, buddy. That's a problem. That's, that's alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like this is a big thing about this trilogy of books is we have to be reminded a lot that these guys are good at business. Oh yeah. They're very rich for a reason because capitalism uh, rewards competence. I might drink like my ancestors and get myself into bloody trouble whenever I get my hands on it. But when push comes to shove, my job comes first and I do a damn good job at it. So before you go and judge me, know this, I know I'm a fuck up. But when it comes to business, I'll talk my way through any contract, tripling the income of my client every goddamn time. This is something I brought up last time, is that they say, write what you know. And I don't think the person who writes these books understands business. No. Tripling their income every time is unsustainable. Oh, yeah. Bernie Madoff did it. Tell me that (laughs) it's not. Tell me that. Tell me that wasn't sustainable. Um, He also has some very weird thoughts about her eating The way her mouth wraps around her fork. Hell, I keep envisioning my cock as the utensil feeding her shepherd's pie rather than her fork. Did he cook the shepherd's pie? Fooking with my messed up brain. Uh, No, he has a chef because he's rich. Uh. We ended up ordering cheesesteaks and what I thought was going to be a simple meal has turned into an erotic show of Sutton fitting the hoagie in her mouth and licking every single finger. It hasn't been easy controlling myself. Um, he has a fucked up relationship with his family. Uh, his mom calls him and says, I'm not the one who left me family with nothing but a few potatoes in the field. Like, are they, really, <laughs> are they really potato farmers? That's thing 10. That's thing 10. All Irish people are potato farmers. Um, after meeting, Or in you too. You're right. Those are the only two career options. <laughs> um, after meeting him once, Sutton's friend Maddie says, Rourke seems like a complicated man with a dark past. <laughs> So he's bound to do something to screw up his chance with you. I think it's in his bad boy blood. I think it's required by the plot of this book. (laughs) And as a great foil to Rourke McCool, Sutton is a good girl. Yes, naturally. I'm a country girl who never thought having to show half my breast was the best way to win a man's affection. Butt cheeks should be sacred, not something you show a stranger willy-nilly. Have you been to country things? Butt cheeks and boobies are all everywhere. I have gone on a romantic comedy binge, starting with How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That Kate Hudson is such a sassy character. Uh, There was also a romantic comedy marathon in my book. Of course there was. I can't remember what was listed, but it was bad. He describes her as having purity brimming from her eyes. I don't know what that means, but I hate it. And because she's an angel, she has like 80,000 eyes. You're right. Um, She's also only had sex with two men, but the sex was always bad and she's never gotten an orgasm from a guy before. And she's not, she doesn't have purity. She lost that virginity. So. Very important. She has, despite having lived in New York, conflictingly given, but like for six years, if she went to NYU for both undergrad and grad school, she has an NYC to-do list for her seventh year in New York. Or even third. And it includes live life, try all iconic NYC food, go to a nightclub, spend a day getting lost in Central Park, fall in love. 
you know, New York is kind of the fifth character of this book. <laughs> it really is. Uh, question for you. Are, do you consider taxis to be public transportation? Absolutely not. You have to pay for them. Yeah. yeah well, I know you have to pay for subways and buses, but I mean, like, specifically, you have to yeah. pay to get them. Uh, Rourke keeps taking taxis and referring to it as public transit and kind of being like, I like to, you know, be a common man every once in a while and take public transportation. He says, hailing a cab. Um, Jesus. He apparently, okay, so he describes- Is that not on her list? In my third year in New York, I'm going to finally take a cab. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to finally take public transportation. I'm going to finally go to Central Park my third year. Even if it's her third year, her lowest possible year. Yeah. Would you not eat pizza yet? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oy. Uh, He describes his college experience as having done a foreign exchange program to Yale. Yep. That's not how that works. Yeah, foreign yeah. exchange programs are for high school. If you're a college student, you're an international student, and you have to go through the same highly competitive admission process as any other student. Yeah, he just went to Yale. And international <laughs> students He's probably have to have immigrant. a lot of money. Almost assuredly, his, his student visa is up, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, is he trying to get with his pure girl so he gets a green card? <laughs> I don't know. No, it does mention that he has a green card already. Ah, because she, he's so rich. Because she says she wishes that she could cross green card marriage off her bucket list. Um... <laughs> So apparently Weird. he did a foreign exchange program at Yale and liked it so much that he stayed. Like, none of that is how any of this works. Yeah, no kidding. You just went to Yale, bud. One thing that I did think was really funny is that at one point she sleeps at his apartment, but this is before they've hooked up, so she sleeps in the guest room. And in the morning she can't stop talking about how comfortable the bed was. <laughs> and he says to her, like, it's called money, Sutton. It buys you sleep. Which I did think it was really funny. It buys you a lot of things. Just about um, everything. The first time, instead of actually hooking up, they just dry hump. Like teenagers. <laughs> and then they reference it as dry humping a lot, which made me very uncomfortable. Um, at one point, Maddie says about Rourke, the, the friend, I think he needs time. Time to think and to feel. Oh, no, this is uh, his friend, the guy that your book was about. Bram. Yeah, saying this to Sutton. I think he needs time. Time to think and to feel. That's how we work. Men aren't like women who can process their feelings right away. <laughs> That's the, the typical thing is that women always know what they want. Yeah. And men are, are sort of dilly-dallying on totally. that. Um, I feel like I would be remiss if I did not talk more in depth about the relationship between Wrath, Rourke, and Bram, the three boys. The bad boys. Uh, Rourke describes their friendship in his diary as, When you're in a fraternity together and see each other get slapped on the bare ass like a brand new baby by every brother, you form Good an unfortunate special bond. Fraternities are bad. Um, Bram proposes to Jules, the two main characters from your book. I'm pretty sure he already did in my book. Uh, you would probably remember it, because apparently when proposing, he chokes on a Brussels sprout and then pees his pants. No, he only asked her to move it. But yeah. Good. I'm glad he was a side character in this one, because the main character always has to look cool. Um, The only thing that I liked, like the only positive relationship thing about this book is that he freaks out because he feels like... So, I'll give you the last half of the plot. They fight again, and this time their fight is because Sutton is trying to hide her their relationship from her dad because mm -hmm. Rourke is her dad's agent. She doesn't think he'll approve, whatever. Many professional football players have an adult-age daughter. Yep, totally. Uh, but then her dad finds out anyway, and he does freak out, and he tells Rourke, you'll never be good enough for my daughter. 
And so Rourke is feeling really down on himself. They stop talking for a while. He goes back to drinking and smoking, which he had given up for her. But then they make up and they realize they're in love and they live happily ever after, whatever. But the one good relationship thing in this book was that when they, like, had the big fight and her dad said, you're not good enough for my daughter, Rourke goes to Bram's house yes. and is, like, telling him about it. And he was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm, I'm not good enough for her. Like, I haven't ever had positive relationships in my life. I don't know how to have one. I don't know how to, like, be in a relationship with her. And he, like, tries to talk him through, like, you actually do know how to have a relationship because we've been friends for 10 years. Like, you are a good friend and you support me and all these things, whatever. (laughs) Um, And so like the other two guys use that as a way to like encourage him to like take what you've learned from our friendship and we've been friends for a decade and take what you've learned from that and apply it to your relationship with them. Like you are capable of being in a relationship, whatever. I don't think it's true, but it's nice. Like, (laughs) sure. Um, I will end with another diary entry. This is the last diary entry. Dear diary, we've been through a lot. Name after name after name. He goes through a bunch of different names in all his entries. And what it comes down to is, I'm going to act like a besotted teenager with heartbeams spewing from her hormonal eyes. I've learned a lot over the course of this year, but one of the most important things is that I have worth. Not because of the millions upon millions in my bank, or even the beautiful woman by my side. Jerk off motion. Me. And that's the end. So he never finds something with big balls to call his diary? No, he just calls it Dear Diary because he's in love, Mick. Oh, yeah. It's bad. Pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Well, I just, I was down when you told me that it turns out that, in fact, he does not expertise in an Irish accent. That would have been nice. I would have thrown my kindle into the garbage into the sea into the sea well that is going to do it for this episode of bibliophile we do not have uh next week's books picked out quite yet but be sure or two weeks from now's books picked out quite yet but be sure that uh we will find some doozies for you i'm happy to report that both of us uh keep tracks of our yearly book list <laughs> and these terrible books were number one for both of us number you one bet. in 2021 first book that i finished in 2021 uh, Bibliovile made up, assuming we read 24 books, which I'm pretty sure we did, uh, Bibliovile made up 22 to 24 of the 162 books I read in 2020. Thanks, quarantine. Me and over half of mine. <laughs> um, but that still is pretty okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Bibliovile, and you can find me on Twitter at Dikima. You can find me on Twitter at J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Unless they have any embarrassing Twitter drama that we need to kick them off of our podcast for. Yeah. Unless they're Bean Dad. Good night, everybody. Good night, Laura from Switzerland. 